Thank you for joining Mind Your Brain, a podcast of help and hope for brain injury survivors. Our goal is to give you tools and tips to help you achieve the highest recovery possible. So let's get started. My name is Candace Gant. I'm a brain injury survivor and founder of Mind Your Brain at Penn Medicine Conferences and the executive director of the Mind Your Brain Foundation. I'm also immensely proud to be on the board of the Brain Injury Association of Pennsylvania. Joining me today is Stacia Bissell. Stacia has a master's in education and is a brain injury coach, educator, public speaker, and survivor. She specializes in helping others find personal and professional growth relating to brain injury. Passionate about education, Stacia spent much of her career as a secondary math teacher until taking on roles in administration and academic coaching. In 2011, she became a licensed middle and high school principal with aspirations of running her own school. However, a bicycle accident that same year left her with a traumatic brain injury and her career as a public school educator came to an end. With support from her speech language pathologist, the Brain Injury Association of Massachusetts, friends and family, Stacia began focusing her attention on helping the brain injury community. She's a contributor to Brain Injury Hope Magazine, a program leader for Love Your Brain, and a member of the BIA slash USA Speakers Bureau, and that's Brain Injury Association USA. In 2015, Stacia co-founded the Northampton, Massachusetts Brain Injury Support Group and the Berkshire Brain Injury Collaborative. And then she started her own company, coaching and mentoring brain injury survivors called TBI Mentor. Welcome, Stacia. It's an honor to have you with us today. Thank you, Candice. I really love being here with you today. And I have to say, I'm really appreciative for all of your contributions to the brain injury community too. And uh, takes people like you and me to mm -hmm. keep things going, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, so true. Yeah. We're in the Mutual Admiration Society mm -hmm. because we're, we're doing some really exciting work with mm -hmm. it and having a heart for brain injury survivors. Mm -hmm. So let's kick off our time together with your story. What happened that day on your bicycle? Yeah, well, as you mentioned, I was uh, an educator. I was a public school educator for many years, a couple of decades, and uh, it was the first week of school. It was September 2nd, 2011, and a friend of mine, a colleague, actually, she and I decided we'd take a bike ride, um, which we'd done many times before together, on a beautiful bike path in western Massachusetts, where we live. I'm in the Berkshires. Mm -hmm. And um, we decided to just do a ride on that first Friday after school to celebrate the opening week of school. And I was exhausted. I was a newly appointed uh, pseudo-administrator of the building. I'd left teaching full-time now and uh, was in a role as kind of like an academic dean of the building. And we set off on our bike, bike uh, excursion and I was exhausted, like I said. And um, for the most part, we rode side by side and uh, I ended up behind her at one point because we need to let someone pass. And um, when I came up beside her, we, we got our, our signals crossed and our tire, my front tire and her back tire, okay. nicked, and I just flipped. Oh. And we were in about the 10th mile of our 
trip and I don't remember really what happened, but I was told that I, I flipped and I fell, I was laying on my arm, which was a very clean break at the, you know, in, in, by the elbow and, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a hole in my helmet. I was wearing a helmet by the way, oh and I uh, need to be kind of picked up and brought to the car where I went to the hospital. This is all hearsay. I don't remember any of it. Sure. And, um, you know, I guess I was treated my, my bloody skin and broken bones. And, uh, my first memory was actually waking up in my own bed that night with a cast on my arm. And I wondering what happened, right. And I, I, it was about a 20 hour amnesia from, I don't remember my day at work or the 10 miles on the bike or the four or five hours in the ER. Mm -hmm. My first memory really was waking up in my own bed, waking up my husband and saying, Hey, why is there a cast on my arm? <laughs> well, you, know, you went bike riding and you fell, you broke your arm, you went to the hospital. They said it, you're home now. And I'd say, Hey, why is there a cast on my arm? And he'd oh, say, Oh, you went bike riding and you fell and you broke your arm. You went to the hospital. They said it, you're home now. And I said, why is there a cast on my arm? I, I just simply could not remember his answers as soon as they, they were couldn't process it. Yeah. That, yeah. And that can't be true. And, right. And, and it's interesting because in the hospital, um, my husband was told just to watch me for a few days mm-hmm. for concussion, even, you know, watch me in air quotes. That is, yes, and yes. it's surprising because I was doing the same thing in the hospital. I had this battery of questions, the same battery of like 10 or 12 questions that I would ask. And the first three questions were always, where are the three children? Our three children were in their twenties. And I wanted, to, I couldn't remember like, where did they live? Where were, you know, so those were the first three questions. Where are the three children? And then I'd look up and I'd say, did school start yet? And they, you know, I would be told, yes, it did. It just started. And, I, and I'd look at my husband who had a birthday in early September and I'd say, mm-hmm. is it your birthday soon? And he'd say, yes. And then I'd look at him and I'd say, well, do I have a present for you? <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said, well, I don't know. And then the next thing that would happen was that I would look down at my hand and I would see this pretty little gold ring on my finger. And it was my dear friend, Pat's ring. Uh, she was a woman who was probably uh, 30 years my senior, but we'd met when I was 13. I'd known her all my life and, or much of my life. We used to horseback ride together. She was at my table, my Thanksgiving table. She went to all my kids' recitals and graduations. And Oh, she sounds so special. She is so special. And I, and I saw her ring on my finger and I say, Hey, so that, then the next question would be, why am I wearing Pat's ring? And and then the room would get quiet. I was still in ER at this point. And mm-hmm. the story goes is that they would tell me that because I didn't remember she had just died six months earlier. Oh, oh the, that hurts. The ring. And, yes. um, and so then I would finish my questions. I'd have a few more questions and uh, I'd start over. Where are the three children? Did school right. start yet? Is it mm-hmm. your birthday soon? Do I have a present for you? And why am I wearing Pat's ring? And I'd hear again, she died and I'd start all over. And I did this about 30 or 40 times in the hospital where I found out that she had died. So it was like repeat trauma on top of trauma. Oh, yes. Yeah, indeed. You have to relive yeah. it each time somebody gives you that news. Yeah. So that was the, that was what happened that day. And, and then sub, sub, subsequent to that, I was out of work for almost a year recovering eight months, uh, completely out of work. And then I went back part-time in May of that school year. So pretty much the whole school year was over and I was allowed to go back a little bit in May and June and rest over the summer and go back full time at the one year mark. 
when did you realize that you had a brain injury after all those <laughs> questions? When did, when did it finally strike you that you weren't going back to work and that you had a serious injury? Yeah. Uh, well, it didn't come easy and it didn't come quickly. I really, I didn't understand for a long time. I thought one of three things was going on. I thought I actually was dead or I was in a coma and I was just like observing this whole weird scenario. Like an out-of-body experience. Yeah, where people weren't letting me go back to work and or people were just lying to me. Oh. And I couldn't understand because I couldn't remember the accident. I'm pretty much a type A in control type of person. So, <laughs> or I was. <laughs> so to all of a sudden be told that, I couldn't do something that was such a big part of who I was, was very difficult. I didn't believe anyone. The first piece of evidence that I actually had something going on was when I went for a check on my arm and they showed me an x-ray and I saw the break and I thought, oh, well, there is some evidence. There's proof. There's physical evidence of my arm, but then they kept telling me about this TBI thing I had. And I didn't really know a lot about brain injury. So uh, I, by this time I was in cognitive rehab with a incredibly gifted speech language pathologist named Katya. And she, I remember going to one of my many, many appointments with her mm-hmm. over the months. I think I had 30 or 40 with her to try to learn how to do things again. And right. one of the things she had me do is, um, she made four, four piles of cards, a deck of cards, you know, one for each suit and face mm-hmm. down. And she just handed me the deck of cards and said, you know, put all the hearts in one pile face down, put all the diamonds in the one that's diamonds and put all the clubs in another. And, and when I was done, I was pretty sure I would have all the hearts in one pile. Of course, you knew what you were doing. Right. I knew what I was doing. Easy, right? (laughs) This (laughs) is easy. Why are you doing this? (laughs) And then I turned them over and every pile had every suit in it. And that was when I knew something was wrong cognitively. So those were the two physical and cognitive signs for me that increased my insight that something had happened. And it's, that is actually the day I went home and said, Oh boy, what are you going to do about this? Yes. Right. Self-realization that Mm -hmm. now I need help. Right. Exactly. And then, and I wanted to talk a little bit about your identity then, because you're an educator and you could no longer teach. And you wanted to run your own school. Perhaps that was your dream. Tell us about that experience. Oh, oh my goodness. That's a loaded one. Um, Well, you know, actually, I think that the loss of identity came at the moment my helmet met the pavement that day. And I I think that's when I started to lose the me, just, you know, me as a total person. But yes, I'll talk about the, the teaching piece, the, the career piece. Mm-hmm. But when, when that moment occurred, I do, I visualize it in this way. I visualize it like I was just boxed up. The old me was just boxed up in this tightly sealed glass box. And it's glass because I could see that woman. I could remember that woman but it was tightly sealed and I I just had no access to her anymore. And that was when that identity got wrapped up and put away. And this new version started to breathe and exist. And education for sure was my passion. I mean, I have a couple of passions. Family is number one for me, but education 
was being an educator was was a true true calling for me a true passion i i have degrees in mathematics and secondary education and i was a high school and middle school teacher of mathematics and business throughout my career before becoming trained as an administrator a, a math coach a data coach a teacher coach i did all the professional development for our building i became a licensed principal i really thought this new job that I just started the week of my accident was mm -hmm. the step. It was going to be the stepping stone to running my own building in the near future. I, I loved every job I had in every school. I taught in a few different schools over the, over my career, had jobs as coaches, teacher, administrators, uh, curriculum coordinator. Mm -hmm. I loved all of it. What a great career. Yeah. I loved I feel, it. I, I feel your passion for it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> It was there for sure. And I saw myself retiring at the, you know, 65 years old with a, with a lot of pride and a party and yes. well done and maybe going on to consult for the state or something like that. But anyway, all wrapped um, out. yeah, well, I actually did. I did have it. <laughs> that was me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I did actually go back. As I said, I was out of work for about a year. And I did go back when I went back full time, I stayed in that job for two years against the wishes of my neurologist and Katya, who was my SLP. But together Katya and my neurologist wrote a really solid set of accommodations for me to go back to work. They weren't going to let me go back without those, that's for sure. And you know, th accommodations like um, no more teaching. I, I wasn't teaching anyway at this point, okay. but I definitely could not, you know, teach anymore. You couldn't be in the classroom. No, too much, too much stimulation, too much noise, too much to keep track of. Uh, so no, I couldn't have an office mate. That would be too distracting. I had to take frequent breaks. I couldn't do hall duty or lunch duty because of the, the too much traffic and noise and all of that. It, my, my principal, I had a, a wonderful principal. He accommodated me, beautiful, you know, all of that and then some. Um, and I guess I, I, I did struggle. I have to tell you, I did struggle in that job for two years. It was not easy, right. but I still had pretty, I had good, excellent performance reviews. Um, and, but again, I just want to say, I, I really did struggle. Mm -hmm. my, my days were marked by work, naps, eating. And that's about all I could, I could do, you know, but a big loss came when after my, the end, at the end of my second year, when that principal retired and a new principal came on board and over the summer, when she arrived to take over his job, she really liked my nice quiet office. So she took it over. She boxed my things up. I didn't know about it. I, um, oh. I, went into, I went in to talk to her about my situation, my accommodations, and also my job description with her because I would be a right-hand person for her. And mm -hmm. I handed her the accommodations and she just slid them back across the desk at me, my desk, <laughs> my old right, desk, right. <laughs> <laughs> and slid, slid them back across at me and said that she didn't really want to see them. And this was something for HR instead. And of course they had a copy. She just wasn't interested. She wasn't right. What didn't want to interact, didn't want to have any part of these accommodations no in fact what followed that was that not only was I expected to do that job that I had been doing for the last two years that I was struggling at but she also now assigned me two classes a day to teach which was not something that I was supposed to be doing anymore and those two classes were in two different grades 
one class in one grade, one class in the other grade, both math classes, and there were two grades I hadn't taught in years. So I had to learn all the new material. By this time, Common Core had come along. I had to learn all the new material. Sure, sure. You got to catch up now. Yeah. She also asked me or assigned me to be the, the math department head for all the math teachers. And she I was lots of confidence in you. Yeah, I guess oh so. I, I don't know if that was it or not. I, I don't know. I think it felt like a setup. Uh-oh. And then, mm-hmm. <laughs> and That's another had, way to look at it indeed. Wow. Uh, Maybe, maybe you're right. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, she also gave me a new office at the top of a stairwell with an office mate, which I wasn't supposed to have. And I heard hundreds of kids clumping by every day. And the other thing I was assigned to do was to cover the in-house suspension room one period every day and do my old job that I was struggling at. Now I'm feeling a setup. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm reading a little bit more into that. (laughs) So, so one of the things that I did to get a little relief was uh, there was another teacher who had some small classes at the same time I was teaching my two small classes. And so we combined them and we decided to co-teach. It's a great model. It's often done in the schools. Mm -hmm. And it was about the only relief I would get every day. And um, at the third, during the, I think it was at the end of the third week of this new thing, I was just pedaling like crazy. I actually got a, my first ever letter of um, reprimand that um, be, I had failed or refused to comply with my schedule because I was co-teaching with someone else and that an investigation would follow. And oh that very, I know. I know. Right. right. Now I, I just see this, this um, playing out. Yeah. Yeah. The doctor, I had a doctor um, who my doctor pulled me that day, the, the same day that I received that letter, I was pulled from my job. Um, I had already been declining. My health was declining and they didn't want me there anyway, but I was so determined to stay with that career. This all goes back to this identity that question that you asked. Uh, I I was very resistant to being pulled, but that day I got that letter, shared it with my doctor and they're like, that's it. You're done. And what followed was a very very low point. And I guess the answer to your question, yes, this, this um, loss of identity was a big hit. Yes. Yeah. I feel a dark, I feel that it's, it's hurtful to Mm. your identity, to who you are as a person Mm. Mm -hmm. and especially not doing well in a, in a position that you revere, that you love and passionate mm-hmm. about to yeah. find out that you could no longer continue in that capacity. Mm-hmm. That must have been just, yeah, as you say, a low point. I hear, again, I hear that in your voice. <laughs> I hear those highs and lows. Yeah, yeah. So then you realized you need to find a new passion. I'm sure that you, <laughs> as you describe <laughs> yourself, that you uh, gotta find another path. Yeah, yeah. And when did you realize you had a new purpose? Yeah, yeah what's the new purpose after a brain injury? Well, it was, I don't know, maybe a month or two after I was pulled from that job, I ended up um, stepping foot into the Brain Injury Association of Massachusetts Regional Office near near where I live. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I started to uh, communicate with the employees down there excuse me. And uh, before long, I think it may have been six months or so after the loss of the job, I was invited, excuse me, Mm -hmm. to 
I was invited to become uh, a speaker at a legislative breakfast for about 300 folks. And just to speak about 10 minutes about what um, cognitive rehab bills in the state uh, would allow survivors like me and you to, mm-hmm. to have. And it was, it was my first speaking engagement. It was only 10 minutes long, but boy, did, was that comfortable and familiar oh. when, when not much else was. And yes. I was, you know, in a room full of hundreds of people and I had a mic in my hand and there were other adults. I felt like I was, you know, giving a PD, a professional development again. And you know, so that felt really it good. Felt good. Yeah. And so I thought, oh, I wonder if there's something there, there. And honestly, I have to go back and tell you that Katya, who was my SLP, she had um, from the very beginning, she had said, you know, that maybe I would need to think of a new career. And I was very resistant. I of thought, oh, oh, lady, you don't, you don't know me. I'm going back and I'm staying. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> going back tomorrow. Watch me. Yes. And so, uh, you know, she's the one who planted the seed that maybe I would do something and maybe it would be around educating people with brain injuries, maybe veterans or the brain injury community Mm -hmm. in some way. And so in the back of my mind, I think that seed was planted already and this came and it came out. And so I decided that I would uh, submit a workshop proposal for the Brain Injury Association of Massachusetts annual conference that year. And I decided also that I should call up Katya, who I hadn't talked to or seen in a few years and, and say, hey, remember me? You, you told me I might do this someday, so I think you should do it with me. And she said, yes, oh, she would do it with me. Partners again. Yeah. And I thought, and it was, and I thought this is a pretty, this could be a really effective model of having a survivor and a provider with their two different perspectives coming at an audience. Yeah. And two perspectives for an audience. That's really powerful. And at the Brain Injury Association of Massachusetts really liked the proposal. In fact, they liked it so much. They asked us to be their keynotes that year for 700 people. So we ended up our first speaking engagement together uh, was this keynote and it was very well received. And what it did in a way uh, re- required me to write my story down, which was very therapeutic to me. Mm-hmm. And it was seemingly helpful to survivors, caregivers, and providers in the audiences that we would, uh, I, I went on to talk to, or she and I, a couple more speaking engagements after that. And that's kind of what, so other, from that other speaking engagements followed and other pursuits followed. And I started to really get into the brain injury community. I co-founded a support group in a nearby town. I participated in the Love Your Brain mindset program, and then eventually got trained as one of their program leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, Love that. I helped the BIA of Massachusetts uh, to, they, we created and delivered um, a training package for schools to help teachers be educated and respond to concussions in the classroom. Because I know when I was a teacher, I didn't know when students had concussions in front of me. And I would not have known what to do about it anyway. Mm -hmm. I was, I was trained in mathematics and pedagogy. I was not trained in concussions. So it was a a way to, in a way, blend my former love of teaching and coaching teachers and my newfound appetite for educating and speaking about brain injury in a way that would help the schools. And it felt really good to be back in the schools. And then oh, from what a great package. Yeah. You pulled yeah, that out. Yeah. It's terrific. Yeah. And then 
from there, I started coaching, you know, friends, family, word of mouth, medical providers in the community, the local hospital, the BIA of Massachusetts. I would get frequent phone calls Mm -hmm. from these various sources in the community to help others, to talk to others. And and so this is where the coaching started. And I'd already been a teacher coach for years. So it was a, it was an easy transition for me. And uh, so this just started my journey, helping other people make sense of what was going on with their brain injuries. And now I was helping inform best practices for daily living, for improved health and acceptance and hope and forward momentum. Uh, Stacia, I, I just love the story. It is really <laughs> uplifting. And I, I want to ask you two more questions, if I could. Sure. One is now years later. So I'm going to tell you what they two are. You can start wherever you'd like. Okay. Years later, do you still have challenges now that you've got a really robust career and more active? Tell us if there's anything else that you've had to find strategies for. And then I want to talk about building the ladder that you talked mm-hmm. about. Because we talked about highs and lows, and I want to touch on that as well. Mm-hmm. I will start with the strategies and uh, in, in where I'm at now. I, I walked away with eight eight or nine disorders, uh, you know, auditory processing disorders. And, um, you know, I definitely have light noise sensitivity. I get fatigued, sleep issues, stamina issues. I, I don't have them as frequent as I used to, where I wake up and I walk in my kitchen and I just look around. I I think, where am I? Who am I? What am I have to do today? What's going on? And I never wake up that day. And I I actually had one recently and it was a, a deep one. And I look back at my week and I could pinpoint why, you know, I had company and I had a funeral and I had a wedding and I, you know, it was you're a exhausted. Lot you had so many activities that yeah, yeah. your brain to, right, to, right. So, yes, to over-process. Have, yeah. I still have all of the same things going on to manage, but I've just gotten smarter about managing them. And, and it was using all those strategies that Katya taught me, I guess, you know, I was, a, I've always been a good student and, um, I think, I think I just knew that the only way to, I guess I, the only way up and out was to help myself by using those. And I guess that addresses the next question you asked about the ladder up and out, right? Yeah, up and out. Yeah, up yes, and out. Fine out. <laughs> so I'll talk about that next, if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mentioned that I had a real low point after I was pulled out of my beloved career. But what I didn't mention was something else pretty significant. A few other things uh, were happening as well. And that is about a month after I went back to work full time, which was about a year after my accident, um, my husband of almost 30 years moved out of our home. And I was essentially left to contend with my injury and my house and my yard our finances. That's devastating. That's just devastating me hearing it a year after you're still struggling in your life to be compounded with it. It's awful. Yeah. It was very, very, very difficult. And while he was able to go and do things like hike and travel and go rafting with our kids, I was left to just try to stay fed and have two feet on the ground. And Mm -hmm. I lost a lot of time with my kids during that time because I just couldn't, I couldn't keep up and right. 
Uh, that was tough. Um, and, you know, I have to say that I've come to learn that this is a common and sad story after brain injury um, for many, and it's devastating. The caregiver just is exhausted and can't cope with the responsibilities and the heavy burden, heavy lift to get someone they love well again. Whatever it is that makes them go, they, they go. They yeah. go. And I'm so sorry to hear that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, they're, you know, at the same time, I told you my kids were all in their twenties and so they were empty nesting me. And so that, that can be very life altering as well. And so I was feeling that loss as well. So I had, I had a few losses. I had the loss of my career. I had the loss of my marriage. I had the loss of my kids. And when my kids went, they, they went, you know, all over one, one was both, two of them were military. So they, there was no say, and it was always far away. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. That was, that was tough. My friends were disappearing. So there were losses there. Although, although I have to tell you that I say, you know, they, they were disappearing, but sometimes when your circle decreases in size, yes, you know, you know that can actually increase its value. <laughs> and, Agreed. And They've I got that it. stimulation of <laughs> having a relationship that you have to keep up with. Right. Yeah, and you need or, that peacefulness that, yes. That there's yeah. no drama or, or anything else that goes along with the activities of having a close friendships. Right. Right. And, and I had family members who didn't understand, uh, between my family and my husband's family, I, I was called names. I was mocked openly in public the first time I went out because I couldn't read the menu. I was asked if I was faking it. So I, I was also dealing with people in my life that just didn't, quite understand. Like I didn't, like I said, I didn't understand concussion before this. I don't know if I would have someone openly or anything like that, but certainly, certainly that um, happened to me. And it got to the point where, um, you know, even hearing the birds singing was difficult. I wanted to make them stop in not so nice ways. Sometimes (laughs) I thought, oh my gosh, just stop singing. The world is not worth, you know, hearing song right now. And so as you can see, I had a lot of work to do to pull myself up and out. And yes. um, I was the one who had to do it. I was the one who had to not give up. I realized it wasn't just about starting over or just going forward or just climbing out of a hole. You know, lots of times people just say, oh, just relax, just start over, just go forward, just climb out. of." It's not that easy. You have to, and I think I said this to you, Candace, yeah. I, I had to first build a foundation. I had to build the ladder before I could even start climbing out of the hole. I had to create that foundation before the march started. And it took a lot of time. I had to do things like get educated about brain injury. I had to find the right team of doctors who would respond to me and who knew something about brain injury. I had They're to- They're hard to find, as we yes, know. they are. That's, yes. that's a journey all on itself. I, I don't disagree. I had to- um, find the right friends around me. I had to put those quality friends around me. I had to learn how to say yes to things like new friends, new adventures, new things. And I also had to learn how to say no to things, which I never was good at. I had to sleep better. I needed to learn how to eat healthier. So much. The whole world has turned around, turned upside down. Yeah. I had to employ Katya's strategies with more fervor, more regularity, I had to build in daily rest. I found that I had to get into the woods because the woods grounded me. Mm-hmm. I, I ended up finding <clears throat> a, um, <clears throat> excuse me, a very skilled 
EMDR specialist. Tell us what that is. Um, Eye movement desensitization reprocessing is what EMDR stands for. And it's, uh, I, I don't, I can't clinically tell you how it works or whatever, but it's research backed and it's by using your eye movement back and forth and processing things and taking things that are causing trauma in you or uncomfortableness and and bringing them to the frontal lobe in a way. Yes, I hope I'm yes. saying this correctly. Okay. And and then tucking them in the, the right compartment of the brain to rest. And it's quite effective. And I had to deal with some traumas of, around loss and some even family of origin issues. And so that was something I had to do to, as I was building this ladder, I was also contending with some of, of those things. And I think another thing I had to do was I had to build in some acceptance about this injury that um, that my new 100%, while different than many, most people's 100%, was still a very acceptable 100%. It was my 100%. So once this ladder had the wood and the nails and the strength to hold me, I was finally in a place that I could see my way forward, even with a little bit of a scarred heart and soul. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had new strength and I had new purpose and a goal of never having anyone tell me that there's going to be an expiration date on my recovery. Amen. Uh, Thank yeah. you for that. That is absolutely true to any of our listeners out there. That's a great way to put it, that there's no expiration date. That are and, repats every day. Yeah, yeah. You know, I found that uh, the the sassy and tenacious Greek woman in me mm-hmm. really showed her resilience during this time. And one rung at a time, I started to climb into up and in, into a new way of being. And it really had this focus on helping others in a and and in living in a more peaceful, calm grateful, hopeful, loving, and maybe determined way. Mm -hmm. I I realized I wouldn't melt. I realized I had found faith that things would get brighter with movement. Um, I learned to be a better friend and daughter and partner and parent and brain injury coach and speaker and writer and all around nicer and more empathetic human being. And I so also that's the silver lining. It sounds yeah, like that is yes, really right. Has brought you to a really new and, and powerful and uh, accepting yeah. and valuable person. Yeah. And maybe you had questions about it before. Where's my value? And I think that now this all answers that. Yeah. No one will ever tell me I don't have value again. I, I have, I know it. And uh, I think another thing that's worth mentioning, I, I was reacquainted with someone who became an important friend and pillar for me and uh, eventual romantic partner. And he stood beside me as well and encouraged me to get stronger physically and emotionally and intellectually. And He's the one who pushed me to my first support group, brain injury support group, which was a game changer. And ironically, he is Pat's son. Remember Pat, the ring? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. And so that wow, was wow. That um, is that really ties a nice bow on that. Sure. Yes. <laughs> I'll oh. always be eternally grateful for that piece of my life. So 
Yeah. That was, that is just so, I'm so happy for you now. You know, we've, we've gone through all the emotional highs and lows, and I'm glad that we had this opportunity to, to really celebrate where you are now. Yes. Thank you. It's terrific. Is there anything we missed? We have a few, few minutes. Is there anything that you can share with our listeners for encouragement mm. and uh, mm. insight into what you've experienced that we could leave them with a couple final, final okay. thoughts? Wow. You know, I, I, I find that really understanding your own brain injury is key, really trying to, to gain insight into your own post-concussion symptoms is, is key to what's going to help you build your own ladder and come out. Uh, if you're, if you're having issues, uh, with organization, try to observe that in yourself and in which ways, and maybe find someone who can help you either a a partner or a friend or a coach or someone who can set goals for yourself in that realm. Or if it's exercise that you need, because you know, it helps you, but you don't have the initiation or the motivation, then try to set some goals around that and get a partner to, to exercise with you or understand what brain injury resources are out there. There are a lot out there. There are podcasts, there are websites, there are things that you can plug into in your community. So I would say get a handle on your own post-concussion symptoms and try to start taking them off, start addressing them. <clears throat> because brain injury is a lifelong management event. <laughs> yes, well said. That's exactly right. It's a marathon as I like to describe yes. it. It's you're in it for the long haul and there, and there'll be some speed bumps on that road, but the, the finish line, and I'm not even sure it keeps moving because you, you really are excited about the progress you're making. Once you get on that road and you're feeling good about yourself again, and then, then you set a new goal and you're you're constantly reaching and pushing yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Can is redefining yourself after brain injury. It can be it can be daunting, but it can be exciting to redefine yourself in, in really uh, interesting new ways that might feel even more true to yourself. And I think that's a great goal right there. Okay. Well, it, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. I thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. And I want to tell our listeners to please subscribe to our podcast and share it with others. We learn more about them and please learn more about the mission of Mind Your Brain, the Mind Your Brain Foundation. If you have the resources to support our free conferences, podcasts, and research, please consider a donation. We promise to continue to give free help and hope to fellow brain injury survivors. And I wish to give you my virtual hug and tell you, you are not invisible to us.